So if possible, uncross your legs, sit straight and slightly away from the chair. Close your eyes if that's comfortable for you or just lower your gaze and just let your hands rest gently on your lap, keeping your spine straight but not stiff and we'll take a breathing space. And the first step is to simply acknowledge what's going on in your mind and your body right now. Just notice what the weather pattern is inside. What thinking is here? Any feelings? Set the scene. Well, a nice freshener with a drop of framboise in it, because it is a bank holiday Sunday after all, and the sun's out, and we should always celebrate that, shouldn't we? And what else do we have? Well, we have the bears, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. We have Boo Boo Bear, given to me by a very dear friend of mine um, in 2005 in America. And he's travelled with me ever since. He does like his dungarees because they give ample space to his proper round bear tummy. He doesn't quite stand up well. His tummy sort of <laughs> topples him over. He's got a little pair of baseball boots, are they? He's got those on. He does have a little harness on so he can clip on to my bag so he doesn't have to be carried. He has a couple of sets of beads because he is a bit of a hippie. And of course, most importantly, he has his ID tag. So if he did get lost, it tells people who he is and it gives them the details to get him home again because that's an absolute horror, the thought of losing a bear. And we have also Jingle Bell's bear, who was my very first teddy bear, who is very proud of his new Highland cow slippers, having just had a little holiday in Scotland. He was my first bear. He was given to me, um, I think it was my first Christmas. So he is as old as I am. <laughs> He's very well loved. He's a lot more squished than he would have been. He's a merry thought cheeky bear. And, and he's just gorgeous. Uh, but he doesn't leave the house very often because he's old and fragile. A bit like me. <laughs> he just smiles. I think some people look at him and just see happy smiles. My nephews at one point saw something quite sinister. <laughs> and that was a great excuse to scare them. I started coaching when I worked in the bank from university, having really no idea what I wanted to do, having done a degree in accountancy and only knowing that I didn't want to be an accountant. And then I started working in a bank. And I think it was when I got my first sort of supervisory position in a branch, I was sent on a coaching course. And I just fell in love with it, absolutely fell in love with it. When I saw the difference it made to people in my team when I coached them, and time progressed and I started exploring it myself outside of work. But then I moved into training. And of course, I then had to train other people to be a coach. So to do that, you have to go through the sort of the masterclass version. And we were really lucky because the team that trained us for that higher level that advanced version were from Sir John Whitmore's company and Tim Galway's company who are like the fathers of performance coaching they're just gurus and to have that input oh it was mind-blowing it just started me off exploring this so as time progressed I did my institute of leadership and management 
the highest level for executive coaching and mentoring. I became a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming. That started me becoming interested in clinical hypnotherapy as well. So I trained as a clinical hypnotherapist. Along the way, I also had my own challenges with mental health. Probably the last serious bout of, of clinical depression that I had that absolutely turned things around for me was mindfulness. So I then developed my skills around that, becoming a teacher of that and a practitioner of that as well. The immediate benefits of mindfulness was that it was the first time I'd actually been treated as if there was nothing wrong with me. It wasn't that I had an illness or was broken. There was an invitation to treat these thoughts as, as a gift, to welcome them. Well, that made me laugh because my dad was renowned for getting people drunk when they came to the house. As soon as you walked through the door, can I get you a sweet one? Can I? Would you like a whiskey? Can I get you a gin and tonic? Whatever it was. And you might have only been there, you know, planning to come to the door to ask a question, but four hours later you'd have to crawl home, you know. So it occurred to me that I could make these thoughts a gin and tonic. <laughs> Mentally, you know, not, not in reality. So when these thoughts popped into my head the next day, I thanked them for being there. And I would mentally make them a gin and tonic and I would explain that I had stuff to do, but they could come along, they were welcome, they could bring their G&T, shout up when they needed a refill. And suddenly I had all this energy because I wasn't spending it on this useless battle of trying to fight these negative thoughts. That's what I love, is being able to draw on all of those different modalities so that I know whoever my client is, I've got something that's going to suit them. I'd done the career thing. I'd progressed to higher than I thought I would ever go. And then you go through life changes. Mine was looking after my mum through her final years before she died. And suddenly career isn't important. You reevaluate. And what had been something that really defined me just became a job. So when the bank went through its latest takeover, that was the time for me to say, it's now or never and to step away and start doing this scary thing all on my own. I do still do some contracting work in learning and development with banks, but the bit that makes my heart sing is the coaching, without question. Because I always see it before a client will. And I see that moment, and it's just such a subtle change, just a little shift in how they're holding themselves or the spark in their eyes. And when I see that, that's the bit that's, yes, <laughs> this is why I do this job. And it's not a job, it's a passion. It's what I absolutely love. Well, what do I do? I guess I help people get unstuck. I help them change their inner critic into their inner cheerleader. I've shared with you around the welcoming them to your home. And a lot of that for me comes from a, a poem by Rumi called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. 
even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honourably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. A lot of people have dreams and goals that they don't tend to go for because they have that little voice in their head that keeps chirping away saying that they can't do it, that they don't deserve it or that they're no good at it or whatever it may be. And I think we all have it to some degree, but for some people it forms a real block and it stops them living the life they want to live. So I help them get past that and live the life they want. I guess my niche has always been working with professional women particularly who either career women or business women who have that imposter syndrome who have that really strong inner critic and whether it's you know I'm brought in to help them with their business and to do business coaching or whether it's performance coaching or life coaching or whatever we term it it all tends to come back when we start exploring it deeply is coming back to that self-belief and, and self-worth and the inner critic getting in the way. So whilst a client may come to me for a particular reason, when we start really digging down to find out what their true goal is, you never know what's going to come out. I mean, that's to me, I always think any coaching session is like an experiment because you just never know. I have no idea what a client's going to say, you know. Um, so there's never a sort of standard approach. It's I have to really listen exquisitely to hear what they're saying, how they're saying it, but what they're not saying as well. And that's That can be as, if not more important. If there is something from my sessions or from knowing me or the way I live my life that can positively impact others, then I'm blessed, I'm thankful for that. But I wouldn't have had those experiences had I not gone through my own challenges. I know what a difference coaching has made in my life. And I know what an impact it can have on other people. And to be part of that and be part of somebody's journey towards living the life that they've dreamed of. I couldn't ask for more. Simply, it's who I am. It's not something that I do. It's not a job. It's not a task. It's who I am. And I think it's who I'm meant to be. And I think it's why I'm here. Before I started my own business, the only experience I had of social media was that my teddy bear had a Twitter account. That was it. <laughs> you know? I wasn't on Facebook. And even with Twitter, I used to look at it and think, who cares that I'm sitting having a cup of coffee and a scone? You know, what, what is this? It felt like the height of narcissism for me. I just did not understand it. And then I had a word with myself and went, well, don't judge it. You've not been on it. You've not tried it. Give it a go. So I set up an account. I still didn't know what on earth it was about. 
But by accident, I came across some teddy bears that were tweeting. There was tour guide Ted, slightly furrier than your average tour guide, but very debonair. There was Olli von Steiff, oh, gorgeous little bear. Dr. Red. <laughs> I got intrigued. And they were tweeting as bears, not as people. So I thought, OK, I'll set up a Twitter account for my own bear, Boo Boo Bear. And quite sadly, within about a week, he had a thousand followers to my 40, which, <laughs> which was quite depressing in itself. But there's this whole world of creativity. There are thousands and thousands of what we call anipals and stuffies. So stuffies being bears, teddy bears, soft toys and anipals any animal or bird or fish even that's tweeting there is a, a phenomenal community out there and I started going on tweet ups <laughs> I've been on some tweet ups and met some of these people bear people are great people you can't go wrong with bear people and have made the most amazing friendships as a result of it and gone to places and met people that I would never have crossed paths with and, and it's been an absolute joy to, to have that in my life being able to connect with that childlike love of the world, that ability to just go out there and be silly and have fun is one of the best things we can do for our mental health. And he's a reminder of that. And I still have days where I can notice from a mental health perspective that things are a little bit difficult and they've been challenging over the last couple of weeks and he's been my reminder to get out there and be silly today and he clips onto my bag when I go out and you know he's a great talking point for, for different people you kind of have people who'll walk past you and go why has she got a bear clipped to her it was strange or you'll have people come up and say tell me about the bear and you can get away with a lot more with a bear <laughs> it seems <laughs> You could ask for things and be cheeky that you, in ways that you couldn't without the bear, I don't think, you know. Um, so, yeah, he, he acts as a reminder for me to look after me as well as other people, to bring some healthy silliness into my life, to get outside and enjoy the world. I think probably diagnosed with clinical depression would have been about mid-90s, so I would have been about 30. It's emptiness. It's it's nothing. People who've not experienced it sometimes think of it as being really sad or really low mood. It's nothing. It's not being sad. It's being empty. It's being devoid of feeling, devoid of purpose, of worth. It's not worth getting out of bed because you're empty. You have no soul, almost. It's You're just a shell. You're not worth getting in the shower. You're not worth brushing your teeth. And to some degree, you're not even worth killing. It's an empty, dark hole. And... It's terrifying. The only contact I had at that time with the outside world was through my bear on Twitter. 
and he became my voice. And it was his bear wisdom, I guess, that kept me going and the wisdom of the other bears and the friendships of other bears that would be sending silly messages or funny messages or keeping in touch and just reaching out and checking that you're still there, that you're still hanging on, you're still keeping going. And that complete acceptance through through bears. And I'll get emotional here because we've lost a dear, dear bear friend recently. And it's been a loss that has been felt throughout the world that the kindness of the people in these communities is beyond compare. It really is. I'm going to share with you something that I came across online a long time ago. I don't know who wrote it, but it's probably the best description I've ever come across. Depression is humiliating. It turns intelligent, kind people into zombies who can't wash a dish or change their socks. It affects the ability to think clearly, to feel anything, to ascribe value to your children, your lifelong passions, your relative good fortune. It scoops out your normal, healthy ability to cope with bad days and bad news and replaces it with an unrecognisable sludge that finds no pleasure, no delight, no point in anything outside of bed. You alienate your friends because you can't comport yourself socially. You risk your job because you can't concentrate. You live in moderate squalor because you have no energy to stand up, let alone take out the garbage. You become pathetic and you know it. You have no capacity to stop the downward plunge. You have no perspective, no emotional reserves, no faith that it will get better. So you feel guilty and ashamed of your inability to deal with life like a regular human, which exacerbates the depression and the isolation. If you've never been depressed, thank your lucky stars and back off the folks who take a pill so they can make contact with the grocery store cashier. No one on earth would choose the nightmare of depression over an averagely turbulent normal life. It's not an incapacity to cope with day-to-day -day living in the modern world. It's an incapacity to function at all. If you and your loved ones have been spared every blessing to you, if depression has taken root in you or your loved ones every blessing to you, no one chooses it, no one deserves it. It runs in families, it ruins families. You cannot imagine what it takes to feign normalcy to show up to work, to make a dentist appointment, to pay bills, to walk your dog, to return library books on time, to keep enough toilet paper on hand, when you are exerting most of your capacity on trying not to kill yourself. Depression is real. Just because you've never had it doesn't make it imaginary. Compassion is also real. And a depressed person may cling desperately to it until they are out of the woods and they may remember your compassion for the rest of their lives as a force greater than their depression. Have a heart. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And that's why the bears were so important to me. In particular, 
I called him Sir Toddy Furrington. He wasn't Sir, but he always felt like a Sir to me, Toddy Furrington and Ollie von Steiff. And there were others, tour guide Ted, Reddy, Dr Red. They were the ones that reached out with humour, with love, with compassion. And my close friends, Carol and Liz, who just hung in there. And I will never, ever forget that. So Boo Boo now, he forms a lot of my tweets. He appears with his pals in a lot of my Facebook posts and tweets, uh, sharing his bare wisdom. So he's really become quite a focal point as, as part of my branding. It came out of Boo Boo being my voice. Because when he was my voice, it was still that sort of sensible, rational part of the brain that can seem to get through to yourself when you're in the midst of depression. And he talked sense in a bear kind of way. And the other bears, the things that they would say, they were sensible. It was wise. And very often it was blunt. <laughs> Um, but very often what, what you needed to hear. So it just kind of stuck. And I wanted to kind of bring more of me to my business because I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't had the life journey that I've had. So, you know, it's all about me. But I'm here because of me, because of everything that I've gone through, the, the successes, the failures, the challenges, everything that's happened. And a huge part of that has been... The wisdom of bears. I've been able to connect with a part of myself that I think I'd kept buried for a long time because it wasn't professional. And I think in a lot of ways, the bear has helped me to bring all of those pieces of myself. I think we all do to a certain degree. We know we have the person that goes to work, the person we are at home, the person we are with friends and so on. But I think through the bear, he's helped me kind of bring that all together so that when people meet me now, they see more of me as opposed to one facet. They, they see the whole person. But through the bear, I have friends now that I would never have met. Our paths just simply would never have crossed had it not been for him. And they're, they're some of my closest friends and dearest friends. I've learned things that I never thought I would do. I've done things that I never thought I would do. He's helped me open up that childlike curiosity again and not be afraid of what people think because whatever they think, well, as the bears would say, that's their shit. <laughs> you know, it's not mine. Just simply notice where it went 
and bring it back over and over again. And in the third step of the breathing space, expanding the attentions to the body as a whole. Sitting here as if your whole body were breathing right now. Noticing the contact with the floor, the chair, and the hands on the lap. Noticing your posture. And see if it's possible to allow yourself to be exactly as you are and allow your body to be exactly as it is. A sense of coming home to the body. Okay, so opening your eyes and taking in the room again and allowing things to be as they are.